Hey, Rebel Parents, part two with Dan Miller, best-selling author of 48 Days to the Work You Love. I have had a fascinating conversation with Dan. What an inspiring and inspirational person he is. Let's jump back into what do you do when you're out of work? Man, being out of work this last year had some rough times, some anxiety, some stress, some tension, all of those things. We all need a little leg up. Dan Miller is the guy to provide it. So let's jump back in with Dan Miller here on Rebel Parenting. Dan, thank you for sticking around and doing this bonus episode. I like doing this because it's a little bit more free form. You can just kind of answer any way you you want. There's no restrictions of radio. Um, I'm curious. I'm always curious to find out why people write books because as an author, um, I've only been talked into writing a book one time. And the truth is I should have thought of it on my own. I just had to be, I had to look at something in a new way. But most people write books because they have to. With this one, this book is so practical. You've got so many exercises, things that really lead people through breakthroughs. But how did you come to write it? How did you come to have this, you know, experience and this much knowledge that you can walk people through this process where 48 days and they can go, you know what? I really do know what I want to do. I really will be fulfilled in my next job. Yeah, golly, great question. And there's an interesting backstory on that hmm. because I never saw myself as a writer, as an author. I'm just a business guy. I'm an entrepreneur from the top of my head and tip of my toes. I love selling, so I'm just out here doing those kind of things. But my wife and I, after having come through a really horrendous business experience ourselves, agreed to teach a Sunday school class at our church here in Nashville on career life planning, just these helping people go through these inevitable career transitions that we all are confronted with. Well, that was just like a magnet. I mean, we found people coming from other churches just for the Sunday school class and going back to their own church for the sermon you know, other states, and I thought, well, that's ridiculous, so I moved to a Monday night, so we'd have more uninterrupted time, and I did that for eight years. So I was not writing books. I was teaching a Sunday school class, but I was walking with people through these transitions, and then people started asking for material. They're like, mm. wow, I've got a son-in-law that's been without work for four months. I want him to hear what you just talked to us about. What do you have that I could give him? I didn't have anything. So I ultimately put together, just in a rough format, my Sunday school notes in a three-ring binder, put a couple cassettes in there, started making it available. And we started making it available on, online as well. And it was, right, it was back when my buddy Dave Ramsey was just ramping up his radio show. <laughs> so we had a chance to really promote it a lot there. Then mm. I went to a conference in 2002. Took Dave and Sharon Ramsey with us, Joanne, and I went to Los Angeles. And he talked about how he sold chicken soup for the soul. You know, here's a guy that was rejected by 33 publishers yeah. and has done pretty, pretty well with that little book. Done okay. He did. Well, I came back, and Dave and I both just started doing what he said to do. We thought, well, if we're going to have this material, let's at least be effective and good stewards of how we sell it. Yeah. Well, in the next two years, I sold over $2 million in that little three-ring binder. Three-ring binder that we were buying off the shelf at Office Depot, put my notes in there and a couple of cassettes. Well, at that point, then it got the attention of publishers. Oh yeah. So B&H Publishing was one of those. The Baptist Publishing House right here in Nashville. Yeah. They approached me and said, "We'd like to do a traditional trade book." So I just refined the material that I had, did a trade book in 2005, 
did an update in 2010, then did a major revision for the 10th anniversary edition that came out in 2015. Mm. But it, the material was not where I went into a cubicle and just sat down and wrote a book. It's yeah. nothing but the real-life stories of application mm-hmm. for things mm-hmm. that allowed people to be successful. You know, it's interesting that you— that's why it really hit a nerve. Oh, it, it absolutely hit a nerve. It's interesting you tell that story because I, I've heard a very similar story from my dad. My dad uh-huh. wrote uh, Preparing for Adolescence in a very similar way. He had been thinking about my sister hitting the adolescent years and how would he approach that and what would he tell her. And he was leading a Bible study at church at the time. And he started doing the Bible studies on that topic and led his whole Bible study group through what he thought he would do with my sister at the time. And people started asking for it. So he then did exactly what you did. He gave people the cassette tapes from his Bible study and his Bible study notes. Well, that turned into preparing for adolescence and the series focused on the family did. And, you know, Family Talk still has that today. That was a, a huge project those were cassette tapes, three ring binders. You're talking to millennials today. You're talking to people like me, you know, in mid career transitions. What are those things? What are the what are the new ways people are using tools today? What are some of the ways, you know, people can say, well, I I think this might be helpful. I was talking to um, a guy that works on uh, Porsches. And there's, I don't know anything about Porsches except there is a specific problem that relates to virtually all Porsches and he had figured out a solution for it and was making a part. And he made a part and then he made a video for other people on how to do that and then he was selling it. And he had a huge market for it because it's something that Porsche owners struggle with. And he did a YouTube channel and, you know, just little, it was a PDF and a YouTube thing, and he's off to the races and running. And he's looking at it now thinking, oh, I wonder if this could be a business. I wonder if there are other things like this. So when you're coaching people today, what are the things that you're saying in relation to your experience, cassette tapes, three-ring binders, what are we using today? Right. Well, we've certainly updated the technology. I no longer have cassettes or even CDs available. Mm -hmm. Everything is online, but we have tons of content online. We have a a really robust 12-session seminar that walks people right through the 48 days material, and it's all online. I've done 48 videos that are part of that, but the cool thing is we aren't pressing DVDs anymore. So if I want to change one of those videos, I can change it tomorrow and the next day in everybody that has access to that course, you know, it changes. Man, I love the flexibility that we have mm. to keep things updated where they don't get stagnant anymore. How funny. I talked but to my dad about is, that. When my first book came out, I just cringed when I got the first copy in my hand because I saw eight things that I would change immediately. And <laughs> I remember I went to my dad and I go, how long was your first book published before you wanted to change it? And he goes, I wanted to change it the second I let the manuscript into the publisher's hands. And I was like, oh, it's not just me. Isn't that amazing now the flexibility where when you have a PDF or an online book or an online course or a source of videos, you literally have the flexibility to change it right now for tomorrow. You find new information going, oh, this, you have to know this. My business partner and I have something Absolutely. called, we have a thing called Startup in a Box. I keep getting asked by people, how do you do a podcast? 
Well, I now have all of those things. I can tell you how to start your own 501c3 and a broadcasting business because I've saved every single file I didn't have information for. I now have the information mm -hmm. and I've kept it all in the same place. And I just, I've started giving it to people that want to learn how to do their own podcast, want to, you know, do those things. I, I didn't even know I had that information to give to people, but I now have a new thing that it's, there is a guy online called the podcast answer man. And I've been through some of his, his things and it's interesting. He's not updated it like I probably would have because the technology has changed pretty drastically since he did his files. And I think, you know, mine are a bit newer and maybe would use a little different technology. So it's nice to be flexible that way. Absolutely. Well, there's so many things that give us options to be current and up to date, but it's not always just about having online businesses. There are real businesses. I mean, if somebody wants to start a landscaping business and they're reliable, they do what they say they're going to do and show up on time, I mean, you can be extremely successful. So we still have a lot of opportunity for mm. the bricks and mortar kind of businesses or just service businesses. Oh, yeah. For people, if it really is a fit for them. Isn't that interesting? Customer service. Successful. You're talking about customer service. Customer service in these days is really hit or miss. And what you're saying is if you can get people to show up consistently and do a good job, I mean, the world is your oyster. I, I've got a friend trying to get concrete concrete work done at his house. I promise, Dan, no oh, lie. Man. No lie. He's had four different contractors come out and give him bids. He's accepted all four bids and the guys uh -huh. have never, they never show up. They don't even call. Never show up. They just don't. Isn't that amazing? He had two more people show up and they just went, oh, no, we don't want to do this. And he was like, what do you mean? He's yeah. like, I, you know, there's so much work available that customer service is a thing of the past. It's just gone. So if you can show up, you can be friendly, you can look someone in the eye, you can shake their hand, you can give them a plan and a clear price and not cheat them. My goodness, there's a lot of work for you out there. Oh, and that you can be washing cars or cleaning windows or mowing lawns. I mean, you take any industry with those characteristics superimposed, you can be at the top of the game overnight. Mm. Definitely. Dan, you know, you talk about how finding work you love is a lot more than what you do. You also say in your book, though, the world doesn't pay you for what you know, but for what you do. So the job isn't necessarily what you do, but that's what you get paid for. So how do you bring those two together? We've put a lot of emphasis and importance on knowledge historically. Mm -hmm. When you think back a few years, Ryan, if I wanted to know the capital of Afghanistan, you know, I needed to find a library to go there and find a book and open it that would give me that information. Our whole university system is built on that. They have the knowledge. We need to pay them to get that knowledge. Now, look at how the world has changed. Mm. If I want to know the capital of Afghanistan, I whip out my cell phone. Three seconds, Siri tells me exactly what it is. We don't have – knowledge does not carry the weight that it did. There, I look at these poor suckers on I mean, who wants to be a millionaire, Jeopardy or whatever, and I think, why would you cloud your head memorizing that kind of trivia yeah. it has no value at all in today's world mm -hmm. but what does is how you understand and apply that knowledge so interviews with companies are no longer checking your resume you know where you went to school 10 years ago it really doesn't matter they want to know 
how do you solve this problem? What if you had got up in the morning, it's totally dark, you open your sock drawer, you know you have 10 pair of blue socks, 10 pair of black socks. How many socks do you need to draw to make absolutely sure that you have a matched pair? And they ask questions like that, and people are thrown for a loop. They think, well, what does that have to do with the work I'm going to do? Mm. Well, they want to know how do you approach problems? How do you solve problems? How do you handle conflict? Those are the things that are going to make people have marketable skills, and more and more companies are doing behavioral interviewing. Yeah. Information just doesn't carry a lot of weight. Information well, is accessible for everybody. It's true, and I, I wonder if that speaks to our school systems in a way because it feels like a lot of public schooling is teaching kids, uh, they teach them how to take tests, not necessarily yep. how to think, and that's why the job interview has largely changed. You know, it used to be, did you go to school? Because if you did, then you know how to think. If you went to school, you had this basic set of skills. Now it's so much social science in school and so much less about skills or thinking that you have to ask those questions. If I'm a parent today and I'm thinking, well, I want my kid to have a job, he needs to be a problem solver, what are the things we can do as parents? Are there activities or games or experiences to get our kids in that teaches them to be problem solvers? Wow, there are indeed. Incidentally, um, just recently I shared on my podcast about 10 major companies that have just removed having a college degree as part of their admission or application process. Oh. Companies like Ernst & Young, when we're talking about a major accounting firm, we would think, well, surely they put a high degree. Nope, they're saying they can't see any connection between having a degree and somebody that brings value to their oh company. Oh, my God. I, I've it wondered happened. when this is going to happen. It had to. It had oh. to at some point happen where you can get so much information on your own. Information is so ubiquitous. It's so available. It's so readily available from experts, TED Talks. I mean, great authors, great yeah. speakers, great orators of the past. So much information. I, college education, I don't know. You're signing up for a lot of debt there. You're signing up for a lot of debt. Maybe it might be smarter not to do that. Depends on what you want to do. So that's an interesting one. Mm. Absolutely. But certainly companies like Google, Microsoft, Yahoo, I mean, they're going to look at a resume and start at the bottom if they even look at it at all. And a lot of companies are not even requiring resumes anymore. They simply want to know, what have you done in the last six months? So they may look at a resume and see that you were part of a rock band and you, you know, got gigs to pay your way through college and see that as being more valuable than the fact that you've got a bachelor's degree in English lit. That's now, right. you ask a question, what can mm. we do with our kids? Well, I got a whole bunch of grandkids, <laughs> and they are, being, they are all being taught in very creative ways. My daughter, as an example, works for me. She's never worked for anybody else, 14 years since she graduated from the University of Tennessee. She works for me, but they live on the road. They live in a trailer. They're currently on Edisto Island down in uh, South Carolina wow. and are going to move across during the winter months, Florida, across the bottom of the states, meet us in March in San Diego. But they live on a trailer. They have three little girls. You ask my granddaughters, Who te who's your teacher? Everyone. Uh. Where do you go to school? Everywhere. I just got an Instagram update from them a few minutes ago where they were in Virginia and they were part of banding owls, where owls were no caught. Way. They were part of a team, caught the owls and banded them. Last year, they spent an entire month in Costa Rica. 
So when kids hear, you know, their understanding of a volcano is what they read in a book, not my grandkids. Yeah. They've call, crawled up and looked down into the mouth of a volcano. Mm. Tree frogs, they ha- their understanding of things and how things work is absolutely astounding. We can provide that as parents. It's not that complicated. We need to allow our kids to live life more than force them to sit in a seat. Yeah. I think they're learning that way. Yeah. Oh, I like it. I like it. Just a couple more, Dan. Give us the the difference between vocation, career, and job. If we're out there, we're looking at a vocation, a career, or a job. Isn't that the same thing? Not the same thing. We tend to use those terms kind of interchangeably, but they're very, very different. Vocation is the big picture, and that would include a mission, purpose, destiny, calling, those big terms. You know, how do you want to make the world a better place? Mm. And as part of a vocation, it may be that I want to help reduce pain and suffering in the world. We'll use that as an example. Yeah. All right. So that's a vocation. That's a big. So then, if we look at calling, it's a sub. I mean, a career. It's a subset of that subset of vocation. So if we use that as an example to help reduce pain and suffering in the world as a career, you could be a physician, a nurse, a massage therapist, sports trainer, and we could take it even to be, you know, pastor, teacher, missionary help reduce pain and suffering in the world. So there are a lot of things that you could have as a career that would fully embrace that calling or vocation. Mm. Job then, in this scenario, is just the smallest component. I mean, if we say, okay, help reduce pain and suffering in the world, one way to do that is a nurse. I can be a nurse in Colorado Springs. Well, there are probably 3,000 positions that are nurses in Colorado Springs. Mm -hmm. So job is the smallest component. But in framing it as such, it also takes the pressure off the job being everything of meaning in our life. If the job changes, it shouldn't change your vocation at all. You simply look for a new application. Even to the point, Ryan, when I work with pastors, and I've worked with a lot of pastors who say, you know, get me out of this. Well, we go back and look at the roots of their calling. What does that really mean? And then we find another application that may never require them again to be in a pulpit on a Sunday. It's a fuller integration of their calling, but just a different application. Yeah. That's what we get by understanding vocation, career, and job. But what a lot of people do is start at the bottom. I need a job, mm-hmm. and they never take the time to really fully clarify, what is that vocation? What right. is my calling? What is my purpose? What would that look like? A lot of times people do that when they're going through a new season, and often you know, a later season in life. So at 60 years old, they start to ask that. I love seeing people who are 27 years old asking those questions. And more and more, they are doing that. They're asking those kind of big questions that I think used to get pushed back later in life. Sure, sure. Yeah, and it's important to ask those. And that leads me to this one, and then I've got two more. It'll be the final ones. But this is one of the ones when we're on the pod, when we're on the broadcast talking and I talk to kids and I talk to them about what does it mean to have a good job. So what would you say is a better definition of success? You know, I think a lot of people think a successful job is one where you make a lot of money, but what would you say is a better picture of success? Yeah, it, it has to be where it really taps into talents and skills that you've developed. Mm-hmm passions that you have, dreams that you have for long term. Now, that may sound kind of grandiose, but it really isn't. I mean, somebody can be working at Burger King, 
you know, serving hamburgers and have those things be fully in place. Mm-hmm. We go through seasons in our lives, and that may serve a useful purpose at a particular season in life. And I certainly don't want to make it seem like everybody needs to change. For a lot of people, this process of introspection, looking inward, ought to confirm that they made some good decisions and they're where they really need to be. So it takes the pressure off thinking the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. We all have that a little bit in us, and we need to get rid of that. There's probably good reasons for you having chosen what you've done. So for a lot of people, that's exactly what it is. I get asked to come into companies a lot, and you would think, well, if it's all a matter of you're, you know, you're not happy, get out of here, companies wouldn't want me to come in. <laughs> but companies don't want people in positions where they don't like what they're doing. Sure. So they have me come in to help us see, can we make a lateral move or some kind of an adjustment mm. where it's a better match for somebody? And also even companies like General Motors, you know, have me come in because they see, well, there's multiple reasons. One is people are taking early retirement. So they may have put in 30 years, now they're 53, and so they retire. Well, six months later, they're back knocking on the door saying, I'm bored out of my mind playing golf. What should I do? They want to introduce those people to, what do you do in, in, in the next career? Yeah. And a lot of those people have done nothing but just get a paycheck. They've never really taken the time to look inward and figure this out. Mm. So, but, but work that is fulfilling you know, ought to give you more, way more than a paycheck. Paycheck is a byproduct of doing something that you really think is providing value. Definitely. Yeah. That's, it's funny because it says that on my bio. If I could be doing anything, I'd be doing this. You know, this ah, is there you go. It's what I love doing. Definitely. Okay, last one. What what book aside from your own do you give out or recommend the most? There are there are several. I love your question because I love I, I wish it was mine, but it's one of my favorite questions that's asked. <laughs> Tim Ferriss asks this on his podcast and I I love this yeah. question. So I can't wait for the people to answer it. So I've always wanted to ask yeah. all my friends this, so now I get to do it professionally. So I'm going to ask his too. <laughs> In terms of real basic value across the board, whether somebody is 15 or 55, I'm going to recommend Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm. It's the basic principles of developing good relationships, which really are at the basis of a meaningful life. It just opens the door to that. And a lot of people have not been exposed to that. So my, my grandkids, when they hit 13, that's required reading. Wow. I don't want friends and influence people. And then do you quiz them on it? Yes, all the time. How cool. Absolutely. Awesome. I mean, firm handshake, looking in the eye, remember somebody's name, you know, knowing that uh, the ability to listen is a real gift. Yeah. Yes, I certainly do. Absolutely. Yep. Definitely. Dem- yeah, I think that handshake one, the other day, I was down in a in a town called La Junta, Colorado, near Rocky Ford. It's all ranchers. I was doing a little benefit there for a pregnancy resource center. Everybody there knew each other's names. Every man there had a giant belt buckle on. I shook a ten year <laughs> I, I shook a ten year old child's hand, a ten year old. And I had to reexamine my life based on the feel of his hand versus the feel of my hand. I thought maybe I've done it wrong. I'm just not sure. He felt like more of a man at 10 with his handshake and hands than I do Jeez. at 46. It's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. That's cool. 
Dan, thank you. This has been such a treat. I really do appreciate it. I'd love to have you back on again to talk about some of the skill sets we can develop and some of those things because the more we can get people fulfilled in the work they're doing, the better their home life is going to be. The better spouse they're going to be, the better parent they're going to be because they're being fulfilled outside the home and inside. And so I really do appreciate you being here. Hey, absolutely. My pleasure. I love talking about these things with you. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. We'll do it again. What a great second episode with Dan Miller, best-selling author of 48 Days to the Work You Love. I've got a link to that book at our website, rebelparenting.org. While you're there, sign up for the newsletter. Exclusive content every single week, videos from Laura and I, or you can text the word REBEL to 444-999. Text the word REBEL to 444-999. We'll get you on the newsletter, get you signed up. Good material, parenting tips, marriage tips every week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing with your friends. Thanks for rating and reviewing on iTunes. We appreciate it. God bless. See you next week.